Jesus. Just saying the words, just saying the name all around creates a lot of uh, different responses. We get, you know, just saying the name, it could be anything from, uh, it stirs up emotions, stirs up reactions. As we saw in that video, you just, just who is Jesus? That first guy was like, oh, now you're starting trouble. You get all kinds of responses for the name of Jesus. We're going through the series, uh, Rooted Deep, Growing Tall, and, and we're going to focus on the next couple weeks, we're going to focus on who Jesus is for a little bit, and then we're going to move on to the rest of the book. But we're going to spend at least this week and next week in, uh, these, in these verses, 15 through 23. And just the, like I said, the name Jesus, there's so much um, controversy and, and, and discussion of who he is. Some, um, some hear that name as very confrontational. I know I have a family member that if I'd bring up Jesus, it was, there was a hostility instantly. Over the, you know, I'd talk to him on the phone and like, hey, you know, have you thought about going to church? I mean, Jesus died for your sins. I don't want to hear that stuff. And they get very confrontational. People get that way with it. Uh, some places you can't even say the name Jesus. You say the name Jesus, you risk death or, or going to jail or, or, or all kinds of stuff, some, all kinds of persecution that come on just for saying the name Jesus. You can pray to God, and you can use the, you know, the little G God, and you can say that is okay. But if you say Jesus, you better watch out. When you ask people about Jesus, you'll get a variety of reactions. You'll get a variety of different uh, perspectives on who Jesus was, as you saw. Some think he was a good man. Some think he was a prophet, like Moses or Elijah. Some people think he was just a, a religious figure. They, they have all kinds. Most of them think he was just a man, and that was it. What is your understanding of Jesus? What is, when you think the Lord Jesus, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And I'm going to talk of the typical answers Christians give. You know, we, we usually give that answer, well, he's my Lord and Savior. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a good response, but think a little bit further than that. What is, who, when you think of Jesus, who is he? Is he a good luck charm? Or maybe you saw a painting, like an old painting of him in a white robe with long blonde hair and a nicely trimmed beard, and, and that's who you think Jesus is, is, is that kind of guy. Or maybe you saw the painting that has him with, sitting on a chair or a stump with kids all around him, and you think of him as a, a heavenly father and a father figure who just loves kids. What is your view? How do you see it? Maybe your view is that he's Lord and Savior, but, but that's it. That's, that's all you know. It's like, okay, I, I'm a Christian. I, I, he's the Lord and Savior, and, and I know that. And that's about as far as I can go with my understanding of who Christ is. In Jesus' day, there's a lot of confusion of who he was. Following the years, uh, he, he lived, he went on mission trips, and he ministered to people. Then he died on the cross. Then he resurrected and then he spent 40 days with over 500 people after he resurrected and before he ascended. And before, after, there's a lot of confusion surfaced around that time when Jesus was, uh, after he ascended, people started saying, well, Jesus is like this, and Jesus was like that, and oh, if he was the Messiah, and, and there's all these different views of who Jesus was. And there was a lot of different uh, confusion about it. But God used Paul to start uh, correcting that errors. Paul came along and, and God used him to, to explain these things and explain exactly who Jesus was. Not just that he was Lord and Savior, but there was so much more to it. And so he writes in these different letters that we see a, a clear explanation of, of who Jesus is. 
See, he had to address certain heresies that were going on in the church. Now, a heresy is, is a, a contradiction in doctrine or dogma. It's a contradiction to a, a truth. Okay? And so, like, for example, if I, if I uh, went and I said, you know what, your dog, your little rat dog, is, is divine. And, and that little dog is divine. And, and, and you know what, I think we should all worship this dog. We should get on our knees and bow down to this dog. If I said that, that is heresy. That is wrong. It's giving credit to something other than what the truth is. So another example would be if I said Jesus was, you know, a redhead. Guess what? That would, I would assume that would be wrong. If we, if we attribute things to Jesus that are not true, that's heresy. Okay, so what he's doing is he's, he's, he's addressing, Paul's addressing these issues and clarifying things. Some people today take the Bible and they distort who Jesus is. They take the Bible and they, they pick and choose different verses and they interpret how they want and they say this is who Jesus is. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that, that well, that's okay, that's their view. They just have different views. But that still is not right because it's heresy. When you started attributing characteristics and traits to Jesus that are not true, that becomes heresy. So, for example, some of the things that are talked about today is that uh, um, some people teach this today, that Jesus and Satan are spiritual brothers or physical brothers. They actually teach this. They teach that, that God the Father had relations, you know what I mean, with a, a heavenly mother, and they produced an error, um, which was Jesus and Satan, Lucifer. And, that, and therefore, they were brothers. This is actually taught today's churches. They're also taught that... that um, and that Jesus was actually earning his godhood, and that's why he came to earth, was to finalize his sacrifice, be the ultimate sacrifice, so he can become God of his own world, which is this one. And that's the only reason he's considered a, a god, is because of what he did today, here. These are actual real teachings out there. So if, we're, if we don't know who Christ is, if we don't have a solid foundation of some basic doctrine, then what happens is when somebody teaches that, guess what happens? We start falling into that. We start thinking that. Wow, you know what? That's a good point. I think that might be true. And, we, and because we don't have any foundation, because we haven't um, learned who Christ is and, and go a little deeper, we start, getting, we start following the wrong doctrines and we start practicing heresy. How will you know if you're following heresy unless you have a solid understanding of who Christ is? We also need to know who Christ is and have this understanding so we can teach others. Christ was, and, and Satan were brothers, you can go to Scripture and say, no, he's not. Look, here's who Jesus is. If we, if we hear people coming in and start teaching something wrong, we can confront that and protect the church. And, in, and if you think that that's not something we should do, take a look at some of the scripture we're going to look at right now. If this is something that you think, well, you know what? I'm okay with just knowing Jesus is Lord, and that's good enough. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says for us to continue to give a defense of the Christian faith. And let's take a look at 1 Peter 3.15. This is from the Amplified Bible. But in your hearts, set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it courteously and respectfully. 
If that doesn't convince you, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 5. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah and the Anointed One. We're, we're going to make sure that we're going to keep our minds... Uh, if, if we start getting led astray, we're going to capture that and we're going to set that aside because we're going to focus on the true knowledge of Christ, which is what Scripture tells us. So it's clear in these verses that, that having a solid understanding of who Jesus is is vital to our growth. See, your maturity in the Lord depends on your understanding of Christ. I want to say that again. Your maturity in the Lord depends on your understanding of Christ. As you understand who Jesus is, the more you will grow. The more you study and look at his characteristics and become more Christ-like, the more you grow like him. See, Paul went everywhere telling everyone about Jesus. That he traveled around for years telling everybody about Jesus. And he did this by warning them and teaching them with all the wisdom that God has provided through them. So as he was teaching the truth and, and correcting these errors... God was building him toward more maturity. The goal was to present everyone to God as perfect and complete. That was the goal. And if you remember, the, the idea of, of spiritual growth as a whole is so we could become more holy, so we could become more Christ-like. And that's what he's saying here is go to become perfect and complete. Not that we'll ever achieve perfection, but we'll be perfect in the eyes of God. See, I want to, as we, as we go into this verse, we're going to look at it in a second, I want you to think about your view of Christ. I want you to, as we, as we dissect this verse a little bit, I want to encourage you to think about your view of Christ and, and reflect on it and correct some errors. Maybe you have some errors in your thinking in the way you seek God or the way you seek Christ. So reflect on that. See, a lot of us know some basic fundamentals. We've heard the Christmas story. We've heard the Easter story. We know that he was born in, uh, well, we know that he was born in 5 B.C. He died when he, in 28 A.D. Um, he was 33 years old. We know that. We know he was born in a stable. We know he was born to a Virgin Mary. So we know some basic things. But that's not all there is to know. There's so much more. As we dig through the scriptures and we start pulling these things out and we start dissecting it, we all see that there's so much more to who he is. So read with me uh, for uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to go on 18 through 23 next week. But I wanted to, as I was doing this, this uh, sermon, there was so much in just these little verses that I had to stop. Because otherwise I'd have like a three-hour sermon and I don't think you really want me to do that, so... Unless you do. No? Okay. All right. So read, read with me here, uh, or follow along. It's, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, verse 1, I mean 15 through 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things, that, the things we can see... And the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Before we dig into this, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll start looking at this verse a little closer. Father God, thank you so much for, for Paul and, and, and his, his writings here. Uh, thank you, Lord, 
for, uh, for everything you do, Lord. We love you, and we ask you to have the Holy Spirit here as we unpack this verse and teach us more about Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're, we're going to see in the very first beginning of the verse is verse 15. We see that to see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to see God. Christ is the exact likeness of God. Paul doesn't miss words here. He doesn't, he doesn't play around. He goes right to the point. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, Jesus is not just an image or a symbol of God. He is God himself. He is God himself. The word image comes from the Greek word icon. And, and the, the little background on this word is it means like a, a stamp or, or a perfect reproduction. No, and the, or, or a manifestation of something. So in that culture, what they would do is, on passports, they would have these little sections on their passports, and they did have passports back then, and, and they would have the section that would be called icon, or it would be called distinguishing marks. And what this is referring to is when you travel, they would have this section on here that would describe you, something that's strictly for you. If you have a tattoo, if you have a scar, if you have a you know, birthmark, something on you that distinguishes you from everybody else. So he's using this word very carefully. See, this distinguishing mark... Um, it shows that he's using this word saying Jesus is set apart. He's different than everybody else. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's more than just a precise copy. He is God himself. He both represents and manifests God to this world. Now John 1.18 says no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has, made him, he has made him known. That phrase, has made him known, is something I want to focus on for a second. And it means that Jesus has declared to the world that, or what God the Father is really like. So when, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Hebrews 1.3, this is the first part of it. It says the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So when we see Jesus, we see God the Father. We see exactly who God the Father is. See, Jesus wasn't merely representing God. He was and is God. And, if you, and sometimes people say, well, Jesus never claimed that. There's lots of verses that show that Jesus claimed who he was and that he was God. But one particular situation is there. In John 14, 8 and 9, so he was talking to Philip. And Philip asked Jesus, says, Lord, show us the Father... And that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? After, even after I've been along you, among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now with that phrase, what he's talking about is, is he's literally saying, he's saying he's equal to God. He, anybody who's seen the Father, you've seen Jesus, or seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That means they're one. That's what he's claiming there. Not two separate beings. One, one God. See, Jesus isn't only God. He's also supreme over all creation. He's also supreme over all creation. Some translations use uh, the word firstborn instead of supreme. In the beginning of that verse, it talks about 15b, the, the second part of the first, 
verse. Sometimes they use this word uh, firstborn instead of supreme. So some of your translations might see that. Now, a lot of times people will use that word to say, well, he was the firstborn. Well, therefore, he must be one of many kids, right? Or maybe, uh, maybe he's the firstborn, so he, you know, there's a physical birth here, which there was. But sometimes the Jehovah Witnesses, for example, believe that this verse teaches that Jesus was a created being and therefore couldn't be God. The Mormons believe that he was also a created being, which I mentioned earlier. And, and they created and he was earning his godhood. So people will take this verse and really distort it and turn it around. However, this phrase, firstborn, is translated as error or owner. Error as in H-E-I-R. And in ancient times, that meant ranked one or, or supreme one. That's why we use that word supreme in some translations. Jacob was not the firstborn, but he was an error, wasn't he? That's strongly supported in Psalms 89, where, where we read that God appointed King David as the firstborn, even though he was the youngest of eight brothers. The verse concludes by saying that David will be the most exalted of the kings of the earth. See, therefore, an error or firstborn is a place of honor, it's our position, not at a chronological order. So when you see firstborn, don't think of that. Don't think of, well, he was first among many kids. He was, it's a place of honor for him. So if he's supreme over all people, and he is God, then he's also the creator of all things. To see and understand Jesus as God and supreme over all creation is to understand that he's also the creator of everything. Jesus made everything in the heavens and the earth, things that we can see or can't see. The spirit world, the kings, the rulers. We see that in verse 16. See, false teachers at that time, what they were doing was, they were saying that the world was evil. The, the physical world was evil. And they also were teaching, these false teachers were also teaching that there is good and evil spiritual beings, which we also believe we have you know, demons, and we have angels. And so we, are, we do agree with that. But they were teaching that the world was evil, and there was a good and bad spiritual beings, and that God could not create them. And they reasoned that if, if Christ were God, he would only oversee the spiritual world. And they also gave prominence to angels. They would worship angels instead of God. And they taught that Jesus was one of many intercessories, many people, many, many angel-type beings amongst a lot of them. And, so, and they would worship these angels, and they actually thought that the angels were more powerful and should be worshipped over Jesus. So now Paul turns around, and he's like, he, he sees this, and he hears what they're talking about, and he goes right to the point. He goes right into the reign of Christ. And that's where we start seeing in verse 16. He's, he starts pointing out this, who Jesus really is. He's correcting that heresy. He's correcting those, those phrases. They're, people are trying to attribute wrong things to Jesus. They're trying to say he's like this. And Paul's saying, no, that is not who Jesus is. Jesus is like this. And so he quickly points to the reign of Christ and that Jesus has no rival. He explains that all the thrones, dominions, principalities, powers on earth, both visible and invisible worlds, are all under the authority of Christ. Even the highest angels are, are under Christ. See, when we, when we th think about that, every single thing in our world is under the authority of Jesus. 
Everything. See, we think we have all this control over our lives, but the reality is, is Jesus is in control. I can, lose, I, I can drop dead right now, and it's all under Jesus' control. That's the reality of life. Everything is under Jesus. Jesus is a creator and a provider, and he provides purpose in our lives. The end of verse 16 shows this purpose for his creation, and it says, all things were created by him and for him. See, everything that we have, everything we experience is for Jesus. The fact that he saves us is for him, so we can come and worship him and love him. He brings everything. The goal of all creation is to glorify God. But who out here, I want to raise a hand, who loves walking around the woods or trails or anything like that? There's a lot of us, right? Yeah. Okay, you walk down those trails and you see a bear or a deer, do you think, oh, wow, look at evolution. Wow, that's amazing. No, what do we do? We look at a deer, or well, if we see a bear, we run, or oh, we don't run. Okay, see, I'm not from here, so I would run and probably get mauled. But when we see a deer or a bear, we go, wow, look at, look at the glorious creator. When we see oh, springtimes around the corner, and we see the blossoms and the new life, that's the glorified God. When we see that, and we see the flowers, and we see the trees, and, and, uh, and all the beauty of the world. The world is not evil, it's beautiful, and it testifies to a creator that we serve. The goal of all creation is to glorify Christ. So when you walk down that trail, you go in the woods to trap something, or, or hunting, or even just walking on the trails because you'll enjoy it. Think about who Christ is that testifies. All that stuff you see testifies of a creator. Revelations 4.11 says it this way. It says, for you created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. For his pleasure. Not for our pleasure, for his pleasure. The, the flowers that we see, the roses that you got on Valentine's Day, the, the different things that you see in, around the world, it's beautiful. And it testifies to God. So Jesus is God. He's supreme over all. He created all things. But he also holds all things together. He holds everything together. Do you think he just, just created everything and just sits back and looks at it? When we do a, a flower garden in your backyard, do you plant some flowers and then you just leave it alone and sit back on your deck and, only, and look at it and never touch it again? No, you go in there every week and you pull weeds and you're maintaining it, right? Otherwise, you're going to be overrun. Jesus holds everything together. In our country, our country's pretty unstable right now. With a new president, people are going, um, I, all the protests and all the things going on, there's a little bit of some craziness going on. But you know what? It's important to keep in mind that Jesus holds everything together. No matter what craziness we see, no matter what uh, we face, whether it's economic or social or all the different stuff, the racism that's going on. I mean, there's just a lot of junk going on right now in our country. And I love this country, but we see it on the TV every day. But you know what? We serve a God who's in control of it all. He holds all things together. And look at verse 17. It says, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. To hold together means to prevent something from falling into complete chaos. Christ is before all things, before time, before order, before everything. He existed. 
And he not only is the creator of the world, but he's the cohesion that keeps it together. He's the cohesion that keeps it together and keeps us from falling away and going into complete chaos. By him, everything came to be, and by him, everything continues to be. We're going to look back on Hebrews chapter 1 again. I mentioned that first verse, and verse 3 says, uh, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So we're going to continue on that for a second. And uh, continuing on, it says, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. See that? He sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. He says it, it gets done. It's not like your kids where you say, hey, go clean your room, and a week later it's still dirty. No, he says it, it's done. He's got the power of his word. His power, his word is his power. If we were to remove his sustaining power, everything would dissolve into disorder. The world would go into chaos. He sustains it because of who he is. I am so grateful he's our king and savior. And he loves us so much that he is in our lives. Could you imagine for a moment a world without Jesus? Could you imagine a moment without Christ in the world? Not only would it go to chaos, but there would be no morality. See, our morals and and the way we get our morals, some people say it's from society. It's not. It's from God's word. Before the Ten Commandments, it was crazy out there in the world. God gave the Ten Commandments to show people how to live. Have you ever wondered, so if if Jesus is God, he's a sustainer of the world, he's created all things, have you ever wondered what he's doing now? Have you ever wondered that? Like, what is Jesus doing now? Is he just sitting on the throne, hanging out, watching a football game from heaven, watching the Super Bowl? Is he hanging out with the, the disciples, you know, playing cards, shooting dice? I mean, what is he doing right now? If he's the creator of the world, and he's the sustainer of the world, what is he doing? See, some people think that God created the world, and then he left and he just, he's just sitting there and letting the world run by itself. And that God is not active in, in our lives. Some people teach this. Jesus says something different. He is working in our lives. He is a sustainer of the world. He's continuing to work in your life. And he's also doing something very specific. And he says it in John 14. John 14 says he's preparing He's preparing for us. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is, no, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me and where I am. See, it's great to know that Jesus isn't up there just drinking lemonade or sweet tea, hanging out, doing nothing. He's up there. He says he's preparing a place. He's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a dwelling for us to live in. We're not going to be floating around um, as angels, just like you see in the movies. Forget the movies. They all have it wrong. 
He's building a home for us, for us to live in. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's a home. And we're going to be able to live there, and it's going to be beautiful, magnificent, and we're going to be able to see Jesus every day. We're going to be spending the time and eternity without sin. I don't know what kind of carpet it's going to have. I don't know what kind of fixtures, but I know that I'm not going to be disappointed. I'd be happy with a shack in heaven. God is preparing, Jesus is preparing a place for us to live for eternity with us. He's preparing also to come get us. In verse 3, it says that he'll come back and take us with him. He's preparing to do that. We are on his timetable, though. I really believe that when it's time to go, and you're a believer, Jesus will come and get you. If thousands of believers die every day, wouldn't it be wouldn't that be tough for Jesus to meet all of them at the same time? No. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that Jesus will meet us. It's a mystery, but I look forward to it. One look into Jesus' eyes, and I'm going to say, I'm so glad I walked with you. I'm so glad I was with you. Knowing these truths about the Lord... Can we really take a casual look at him? Can we, like the people in the video, can we have that attitude of, well, he's not my savior, but he's just somebody. He was just a man. Can we really, can we really have that attitude toward Christ? Christ is supreme over all creation and he works in our lives. And we need to realize that sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes there'll be labor. Sometimes we'll, we'll have to be forced out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we, well, it, it takes a lot to be disciplined to follow Jesus, but it is so worth it. And you know what the reward of that is? Spiritual maturity. That's why this series is called Rooted Deep, Growing Tall. Paul's desire, my desire, is that you grow deep roots and understand who Jesus is so then you can build on that foundation and grow tall in your spiritual growth. Here's your corporate challenge as a church. I'm going to challenge you for something. I want you to take the book of Colossians. There's only four chapters. You can read that every single day. It takes you probably 15, 20 minutes to read through it. It's not long. I read it every day. And just read through it every single day for the next seven days. And I, I promise you, you will grow. You will see things. God will start speaking to you in ways that you haven't seen before. You will understand things better than you did before. And I want you to answer two questions as you read through this. What is this saying about Jesus, and what is this saying to me? What is this saying about Jesus, and what is this saying to, to me? How can I apply what I'm learning? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Paul and his willingness to confront this heresy, and most importantly, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you so much for being an awesome God that's a, that's not sitting on the sidelines, but is active in the world, sustaining the world, working in our lives. And we just hope, I just hope, Lord, that we continue to, to understand who you are so it'll help build our faith and trust in you. Father God, thank you for everybody here. And thank you for the uh, wonderful hearts that they have. I know everybody here loves you, Lord. And I just hope that they continue to grow in grace and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.